You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between the Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks, and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Herd through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcasts. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit HerdPodcast.com, like Herd Podcast on Facebook, and follow at Herd Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoy this week's episode of Herd. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I'm Joe Hakeem, and I am flying this ship, uh, this plane, solo tonight. Uh, But I do have a guest with me, Sandy Levine, the owner of the Oakland Art Novelty Company and partner in Chartreuse Kitchen and Cocktails in Detroit. Sandy, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Or with me, I guess. You're saying us. Uh, How are things? The royal we. (laughs) The royal we. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Good. Great. So... Let's start off um, with something that uh, Nick, who is normally here, but he is in the United Kingdom right now. Uh, So Nick posted something on his Facebook page, Nick Trinks, today about a bar he went to in London, um, a bar called the the Connaught? Yep. Connaught. Um, So that's uh, C-O-N-N-A-U-G-T-H, supposedly one of the best cocktail programs in the world, um, and... London seems to have a plethora of top quote unquote bars um sure. over there uh that are on you know top fifty lists um year in and year out now Nick's um experience was less than something that we would call the best um he said uh they received a colder a cold reception um it was near the end of the night uh but you know if your hours are posted until two or whatever you expect people to come in up until last call correct sure okay um and uh you know instead of being rushed or rushing a a guest through um a cocktail near the end of the night um i think most people would be in the position where they would rather be turned away possibly um now these bars probably these top bars probably want to give people some type of experience. Um, but how do you control the, you know, like when someone arrives or turning someone away or like what, what's, what's the methodology there? Do you think? Well, um, I think every place is different and, you know, you kind of approach it. <clears throat> I, I, I have always been of the opinion that you just kind of approach it sort of like, you know, put everything on the table. If somebody walks in, if you're, you close at midnight and somebody walks in at 1159, you know, you're just straightforward with them being like, this is last call. You know, we're, uh, we're getting ready to close up. We'll be happy to pour you a drink. Um, but it's probably only gonna be one round or whatever. We did have, um, it's funny. We had at Chartreuse, this happened, uh, I think it was last week. I wasn't around, but, uh, we had someone walk in maybe about 15 or 20 minutes before, uh, we closed, which is, you know, it's fine. We we're pretty militant about never 
locking the door early and we our hours say that we seat guests until um you know 9 30 or 10 30 depending on the day um and then you know we're finished when they're finished um but this one instance the um the guest was meeting some people so he came in 20 minutes before we closed and he had a few friends come in like an hour later or something like that so um you know as i was like sort of interested in in how they handled it and uh you know they just took care of the people and they ended up they were the only ones there by the end of it and they just you know they had however many rounds i think that was one after the last people who who joined came and then they left and it was fine um but i think you know certainly there are instances like where if the whole bar is empty uh on a slow night and somebody walks in right before you close uh I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with being straightforward. Like you said, some people would rather just be turned away. Um, you know, I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with just asking which they prefer. It's like, you know, are you guys looking to catch up for a few hours with each other? In which case, you know, if, if you probably don't want to be here. Um, or if you're just looking to grab a drink before you go home, then, you know, by all means, we'd be happy to pour you a drink. And, and I mean, in my opinion, it's, it's somewhat worse to make the guests feel like a burden. Right. Because in that instance, you know, if you're making uh, a drink under duress, um, what's the, how is any enjoyment going to come from that for, for on either side? Yeah. And I think just it's just communication. Like these, these weird, uncomfortable silences that exist between like service staffs and guests where everybody's guessing about what the other person is thinking or is pissed off about uh, just make for a shitty experience. And, and I think um, – I mean, you opened the Oakland back in 2011, and there there was a moment back then, I think, where cocktail bars at that time were fairly new around here. Sure. Um, and I think that awkward silence was something that could be felt fairly often in in that uh, environment. Am I am I wrong about that? I think short, yeah. After after a little while, I mean, we, you know, the Oakland has been a continuous kind of learning experience, and you know, when we opened. That didn't really exist because we had so much explaining to do because nobody had really very much experience. The only people that knew about bars like this were people who lived in other cities like New York or Chicago or San Francisco or whatever. Um, So, you know, for 95 percent of the guests that came in, we had to explain our whole existence and, you know, why – you didn't know what was on our – you know, any of the ingredients that were on the menu and, you know, why the drink took – forever to make and you know why we didn't have sour mix or televisions or you know 12 martinis quote unquote <laughs> um so initially it was really easy for us and then um after everybody sort of understood what we were doing then i think you know we, in a certain sense uh we like a lot of other places in you know whatever the craft cocktail world sort of lost our way and, and got a little bit too wrapped up in um, like technique and knowledge to where we were excited about, you know, learning all these new things. Um, but there was also an element of maybe arrogance, I think in our industry where, uh, you know, sometimes people just want to drink and, you know, to be really self-important and talking about how great everything we do is, um, is, is just sort of, again, it, you know, it takes away from the experience of people just wanting to hang out with each other and chat. Well, that kind of goes along with the whole hospitality side of things as well. Um, I, I think that there's, especially in, in cocktail, craft cocktail bars especially, um, there's a sense that uh, 
if, if you don't know what's happening, um, sometimes the, the staff can make a guest feel dumb. Right. And, and um, it's, I don't think it's any, f- it might not be the fault of the bartender per se, but there's also issues of like someone's looking for vodka and there is no vodka, um, which I've, which I've found to be a common missing ingredient in some craft cocktail bars. Um, it's hard to sway a vodka drinker um, without making them feel like, well, what am I doing wrong here? Right. How do you, how do you walk that line? Well, I mean, you know, at the Oakland, we've, we've never, there's never been a single shift that we didn't have vodka and we, you know, we would never like dissuade people from drinking vodka. But, uh, you know, one of the things we did early on was basically like if somebody ordered a Cosmo, we'd make it. Um, and then, you know, just go a little bit heavy on some other cocktail that we were making for somebody else and give them a taste of it. If it fit the flavor profile that, you know, we thought that they might enjoy. So, you know, like, uh, early on the part and parcel was like a super easy approachable drink that everybody just loved. What is that? Um, it's grapefruit, gin, um, and St. Germain, a little bit of lime juice. Okay. Uh, so, you know, just very, very easy and easy to like and kind of, non-offensive um and then you give them you know we would give them a little taste of it and uh tell them that it was a gin-based cocktail and they'd be like i hate gin this is like so much better than any other gin drink i've ever had and it's really like you know it's just at that time people only associated gin with you know a dry martini that probably didn't have any any vermouth in it uh so and so that that part of education by surprise is that is that something you like thought through before opening or is that something that that kind of came from people walking in and not knowing what was happening? I don't know. That was a long, it was a really long time ago. And when I hear like anything about educate, like us educating people, it's like makes me cringe. Uh, (laughs) So what you're doing though. Yeah, it is. And uh, certainly back then it absolutely was. Uh, But, and and that's sort of what I was referring to earlier is like, you know, again, I think a lot of it came, it, it was, um, it was innocent, you know, when bartenders are trying to educate people because they're really excited about this thing that they just learned. Um, but again, I don't know. I, you know, there are very few people who go to a bar to be educated. Um, and, you know, people, people like what they like. And, you know, it was more just exposing them to a drink that they maybe hadn't had before. Um, and that was, that was an easy way to do it because, we weren't saying, no, you can't have this or no, we don't have this. We don't serve this because it sucks or whatever. Um, we'd happily make the drink and then give them a taste of something else that we were excited about. It's easier to show them than it is to just like lecture them about it, you know? Right. And at the time, um, when you guys opened, it was just, did you open before sugar house or around the same time? Yeah. So it was, I think, it was a few months. I'm pretty sure they opened in the fall and we did in the summer, but I know his, his Dave's process took way, way, way longer. So I know he got, um, he got started with it way before we did, I think with, you know, with his space and all that. And so why did you choose Ferndale as your location? Well, um, we looked around probably about three years before we opened, we started looking at spaces and uh, quickly realized that we couldn't afford anything <laughs> anywhere. Um, yeah. You know, liquor licenses in, in the North suburbs were astronomical at that time. And in Detroit, 
there were a lot of things that were like very affordable but needed a ton of work um, and or vice versa. You know, if anything was like totally ready to go, then those are the things that we couldn't afford. So um, there were a couple of spaces that we were super interested in and fell through or we got outbid on or whatever. Um, and then <clears throat> eventually one of the original times that we looked in Ferndale, the uh, real estate agent that showed us um, some other space just called me out of the blue and was like, hey, I have a space downtown. The liquor license is way less than what I told you a couple of years ago. And we looked at it, you know, my wife and I, and um, looked at it again like a few days later and then just like signed the lease. And uh, wow. so this was in like September, I think, or August of 2010. And I remember getting in the car and like my wife, Heather, was like super excited. And, you know, this is like our new life and all that. And I was just like terrified. I was like, I don't know, man. I think Ferndale, I don't think like, I don't know how much future it has. Like, you know, I, I'm trying to remember what it was, but like, you know, there was like a clothing store that we really liked that had just closed there. And oh, yeah. Naka, maybe? Is it Naka? <sighs> I don't know. I, I mean, oh no, 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 no! This is this is before knock. Oh, it was before knock. Okay, this was I think it was House of Chance. Okay, and you know I was like, and record time I think had just closed. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was like, I don't know, what do we do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you know, like everything else, I was completely wrong, and she was <laughs> com- you know more right than I could imagine. <laughs> but so why cocktails? Uh, well, I've been in restaurants my whole life, and uh. I've always been in, into drinking and, and, you know, whether it was wine or, or spirits or cocktails or whatever. Um, but we lived, uh, for like six or seven months, we, we lived in Chicago and it had just happened to coincide when, with when, uh, the Violet Hour opened. Okay. Um, so we were regulars there and I totally fell in love with that bar. Uh, when we moved back, um, I reached out to, uh, one of the owners there and I was basically like, listen, we're, we're driving to Chicago every weekend. This, I can't just go to Chicago when I want to go to the bar. Like you should open something in Detroit. And, uh, they were super, super, um, generous with, with information and stuff. But basically it was like, I don't, I have never been to Detroit. I have no interest in opening something somewhere that I've never been, but you know, he knew that I had been in restaurants and he sort of offered to, you know, maybe work together. Um, once we ended up finding the space I reached out to him again. And in, in that, in that amount of time, they had kind of blown up. Um, so for there's, you know, we, we still couldn't afford them now and certainly let alone, you know, seven years ago when afford them, what do you like? Well, they, what they consulting. Yeah. For okay. consulting, they, they take a, a piece of the ownership and, and a monthly fee. Um, but, oh, wow. so it, you know, and rightfully so they definitely yep. know what they're doing. They've had tremendous success and all that, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't have worked. So, uh, so that's encouraged us to just kind of do it on our own. So you did it on your own mm-hmm. then. Um, how, how did that work? Well, again, it was, I, you know, it was really scary, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> again, at, at that time, nobody knew, um, what we were doing. So, you know, it, it was the kind of thing where I did not want to talk about my, the bar that I was opening with anyone ever. Uh, you know, with the exception of a few people that, uh, you know, I was friends with that I knew had, had been exposed to this kind of thing before, because I wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm not good at explaining things like that. And uh, I'm, I'm not a good salesperson and, you know, 
I would, I, I, I got a lot of funny responses, you know, like trying to tell people that we weren't going to have TVs and, um, you know, like, Oh, that's a good idea. And like, well, how many will you have like behind the bar though? Like, I, you know, <laughs> wait, like, what? No, that, that's what I just said. I did <laughs> not going to have that. Um, I had a relative say that, um, it's a really good idea, but a better idea would be to like gather all the money that I had and all the money that I could find from all of my friends and family and put it in a pile and burn it. <laughs> <laughs> that That's a running joke with restaurants in general, I yeah. think, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a fair point, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just, it just kind of worked out. I think, uh, with there not being this kind of a bar, we, we got away with a lot more than, than certainly we can now, or we could have, you know, if, uh, if more people were exposed to what craft, craft cocktail bars are. Um, so there was, there was a learning curve that we were, we were allowed and forgiven for. So you're, you've been open seven years. What has the evolution kind of looked like over the course of that seven years? I think it's always kind of different. I mean, um, initially we were kind of all over the place and doing everything that I could, you know, I, I got excited about, you know, that I saw anywhere else or thought of, you know, um, I think it, it, after the first couple of years, um, we, we spent, I don't know, about 18 months taking like all of the profit that we made and just buying every, uh, rare and, hard to find bourbon that we, or, or, you know, or rye that we could. Oh, there's going to be a question. So that, that's how you built your collection. Yeah. Oh, okay. Just bought it over the course of, um, you know, we, we basically like <clears throat> just every, every, every dollar that we made, we you saved either a couple hundred dollars or, you know, a thousand dollars or $500. Every time our checking account went up by however much we would just buy more bottles of, you know, rare whatever. Where does one buy these rare bottles? At stores in uh, Michigan. Okay. Liquor stores. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, that's the official answer, okay. I guess. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just like I, I've seen your your menu um, and there's a lot of really old and rare yeah. bottles on there. And, I, and from what I understand, it's drastically gone down since or has it like gone up and down in terms of the st stock or the price? The stock, not the price. Um, we have depleted it a little bit. Um, we did a, a pretty major renovation to the front facade uh, this year, so uh, you know we haven't really bought a lot of new bottles. Okay. Um, yeah, basically, you know there there are there's a whole culture of people here and all over the country that. Uh, just go search around for uh, liquor stores in the middle of nowhere or in bad neighborhoods or whatever um, and look for bottles that have been up on the shelf for uh, years or decades or whatever. Um, and so, you know, we made some friends who were able to do that on our behalf. Wow. Uh, and that's pretty incredible. I didn't know it's that fun. was even a thing. It's, it, yeah, it's, uh, it can it can eat up a lot of your time. There was you know again there was like a couple years where you know on road trips or whatever I, I really drove my wife insane. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know some of the best pours that I've ever had came from there. So. Yeah. Uh, okay. So seven years. So you've been open. Oakland's been open for seven years. Chartreuse opened in 2015. Right. Okay. So 
Where did the idea for chartreuse come, chartreuse come from? We had two regulars at the Oakland um, – or I, I guess I should say three uh, – who every time they came to the Oakland at some point um, were just like, you got to come look at the space. You got to come look at the space. And at the time, I was like, I don't want to look at anything. I, I'm, you know, I'm here from nine in, in the morning until one in the morning. And, you know, <clears throat> I'm just – I don't want to – was that an everyday thing? Like we're, yeah, we're I don't around. know what I was thinking. The first okay. couple of years, I was just an idiot. And it, okay. you know, just it was just all I did. Um, so eventually, after them kind of nagging me over and over and over again, I I was like, all right, fine, you know. And I went and looked at it. I was like, this is awesome, you know. This it, I just love the space. Is next to the DIA, um, and I was like, I'll never, you know, we can't afford. There's no way we can afford this. This is double the rent that we're paying now, and. Um, it's bigger. I've never, you know, I've, I've worked in restaurants my whole life, but I've, you know, owning a restaurant is very different than owning a bar without food. Um, and neither is easy, but a restaurant has a million moving parts. Uh, and it's, it's much more difficult and, and involved to manage. So, uh, I was like, whatever, you know, we'll just, you know, I'll talk to the, uh, the landlord or representative or whoever it was and tell them what we can afford. And, they were like, okay. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, so then I, you know, I talked to my good friend, uh, James Regato, who was, uh, uh, you know, one of our best regulars yep. at that time at the Oakland. Um, and he owns Mabel Gray. Yeah. Yep. And he drove, you know, I don't, I think he lived in White Lake back then. Okay. So, you know, I was like, this guy's driving like an hour, a couple times a week to come to our bar. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so I, I reached out to him and I was like, you know, can, there's like the, the kitchen at Chartreuse is, is ridiculously small. So I was like, can, can you even do a restaurant out of here? Or would it just be like a big, giant, huge bar with, um, you know, a few things or, or what? And he was like, you know, yeah, there's, you, know, you can do this. And you, he yeah. just like spouted off all the different whatever ideas that he had. Um, and then he was like, I, you know, I have a, a guy who would be perfect for you. You know, he'd be every, you know, he, you guys would work really well together. And <clears throat> so then, uh, I went out to Doug's restaurant. I kind of just sort of took it with a grain of salt because, uh, Doug was in Dexter. Doug at, Hewitt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's a chef. Uh, so he's a yeah, chef partner. Um, yep. he, uh, he was in Dexter and I, I had heard his name a couple times before, but I'd never been to his restaurant and, um, you know, he did those uh, Young Guns dinner with Doug all the time, but those happened Fridays and Saturdays, so I could never go. Uh-huh. So I was like, eh, if he was good, I, you know, I probably would have known. Um, so then, you know, we made a reservation there, and Heather and I, it was, you know, it's like an hour away. So, yeah. it, you know, we were getting, it was like time to go, and we were just like, ugh. <laughs> just want to, like, you know, this is probably before Netflix, but, uh, you know, we just, we just wanted to, like, sit. And, and like watch TV or whatever. And we're yeah. like, ah, we should go. And, you know, within like 15 minutes, we were like, holy shit, this is like way, 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 way better than I thought. You know, I, I expected to have like this sort of give and take where I, you know, I like have to give freedom to the chef and, you know, respect his ideas, even though I don't really agree with them and all that. And uh-huh. like 10 minutes in, you know, like whatever it was, two courses after the second course, we were like, this is, you know, I think I texted James and I was like, just like, holy shit. Yeah. And, uh, 
And then I think he he was like, "Don't fuck this up." <laughs> <laughs> so fortunately, I haven't. <laughs> and, and so that that space in in the in the Park Shelton there that uh, man, I hate to use the word like it, business have, has have been there before you and didn't do so well there. So it's like, uh, is there any was there any like pause given to well, that knowledge or? I remember when Rodan opened yep. and I was like excited about it. And, but I also remember thinking like, this is like kind of on the outskirts, you know, and there's not really much around here. The DIA, you know, is not open at night and there's nobody around. So I, you know, honestly, I, I just think it was like a little bit ahead of its time. And it, you know, obviously that worked out for us. Um, but you know, the city in, in the amount of time between when Rodan closed or, you know, good girls go to Paris or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was vacant for about a year. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but, um, you know, and then we had a, our build out was, I think, like about nine months. That's sort of when uh, the city just started really, really changing. And uh, when we opened after a few months and maybe about six months, they did construction for the queue line. So the intersection at our corner was, was uh, closed. And that, you know, drast- that hurt our business quite a bit. But, uh, you know, we were new anyway, so it, it's sort of like they sort of canceled each other out. Um, but, you know, from the time that – so we got Restaurant of the Year in uh, I think it was March of 2016. From the Free Press? From the Free, free Press, press. yeah, okay. yeah. Yep. Um, and from that time on, it's just basically been super busy, not just, you know, in our restaurant, but, you know, Midtown and – the, the whole city, downtown, Corktown, everywhere, like um, with all of these great restaurants opening up, it's just more and more people that are coming into the city where, you know, I used to work at uh, Atlas Global Bistro um, a little bit further south where uh, Fall Lucky is now, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, you know, the the that was when suburban people only came into Detroit for sporting events or, you know, concerts or whatever. And now... Like it seems like everyone in the suburbs is coming into Detroit all the time to go to dinner, uh, so it's it's just a totally different landscape. And then you also have in that building you have Peacock Room yep. and Frida and Regina. Rachel was one of those regulars that forced me to go look oh, at that space. I should say, <laughs> good on her. Yeah, I mean she lives in that building, doesn't she? I'll do whatever she tells me. <laughs> um, and then uh, I mean Wasabi's still there, right? Yeah, they've yeah. been I think like ten years. Yeah, and then there's a that that that's a really great corner, um, and it's great that you guys are there. H- was there had there been any growing pains in there, or like have you oh, guys sure. pretty much? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, to me, I, I don't really. I, I in my old age now, <laughs> I've I've gotten a little bit better at uh, at seeing good things, but uh, I still it's like ninety eight percent. I only see the bad. So uh, to me, everything is growing pains. But but like, was it last weekend you worked without an oven? Is it? Yeah. So that, well, that was Doug. That's, well, no, it was not you, but me, like, but yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, our oven went down uh, Friday and we couldn't, it was, uh, we couldn't get the part until Monday. We couldn't get a new oven until Monday, which is something we considered. Um, but, you know, we never talked about closing. I was, uh, I was sick. Uh, so I, I was like on, I was forced to be at home. Um, and 
you know, I was kind of like, I asked the manager to send me what the menu was because uh, I was really curious to see, you know, how, how, what, we, what, what Doug was going to do. Um, and, you know, so obviously we still have a fryer and uh, get, we had the gas burners, which worked fine. And uh, we had uh, the grill. Um, and she just texted me back. She's like, I, nothing changed. She's like, the delicata came off. And he replaced it with, uh, I don't remember what, maybe pork belly or something like that. Uh, and so it's like, you know, we have a small menu to start with, but it was still like 18 different items, which is as big as, I think it's busy, as big as our menu's ever been. Um, and I was like, damn, that's really impressive, you know. And, and Doug is, uh, I, I, I think I am... I don't, I can't imagine anybody liking his food more than me. Um, but, uh, he's, he's really, really brilliant at, at a lot of other things involving the kitchen that guests never see or notice. Um, and the, the way he's made the menu with the limitations that the kitchen has, we don't have a walk-in, we have limited storage, like no space period. It's tiny. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but he, not only, you know, is he running like, you know, a really good, restaurant menu um but they they can they make plates in such amazing speed it's frustrating sometimes because there i mean there are i am embarrassed to say that there are a lot of times where food comes out at the same time that the first cocktail comes out um oh so it's you know the way he he formulated the menu is it He's just, and you know, it gives us a lot of leeway service wise too, because if we, if, if we mess something up, uh, you know, on an order or something like that, or, uh, if, if, uh, you know, somebody changes their mind, a lot of other places I've worked at, you know, the replacement dish comes out when everybody's finishing up their food. Uh, he's able, he's able to get it out immediately, you know? So wow, it's, it's, a. Uh, we talk about it all the time, you know, in the front of the house that. It's it's it makes our job so much easier to have somebody who is not only that competent and it's making that food that good, but also, you know, he's, he's really service and hospitality minded and, and he understands where we're coming from, too. So and kind of ex- explain that element of, of him being a service and hospitality minded chef. How, how do you like define that? Uh, well, I mean, you know, I've worked with a lot of chefs and and some of them are, are totally that way as well. Uh, but others, you know, would shut down the restaurant if the, you know, if the other one was out, they would just close for a couple of days. Um, the, the allergy thing and diets and all that, um, you know, that is something that front and back complain about all the time. And, you know, the whole industry complains about it all the time. Yeah. It's not even just like a, it's and like it's industry wide thing. It doesn't really phase him. I mean, I'm not going to say he doesn't ever complain about it. I'm not going to say I never complain about it. Um, but it's, you know, you just do it. It's, and it's, he like, all he, all he requires is to know what it is, is to know what, what the allergy is or what they can or can't have or whatever. And, you know, we have all a whole different set of rules for each allergy or how severe it is because, you know, if somebody says they, they can't have pepper or something like that or garlic. Uh, you know, we need to know how, whether that means they don't like it, they can't have raw garlic or they can't have stock or, you know, whatever else. Um, so there are different levels. And as long as he knows, 
it's it's just kind of like boom, 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 and you know that there that whole element of like poor me doesn't really ever get to him unless it's a situation where somebody you know we've had uh, you know a couple of people will change it in the middle of their meal and be like oh i forgot i'm aller- i'm highly allergic to whatever that they didn't tell us that was in their first course <laughs> and we're like yeah oh yeah <laughs> those those few exceptions aside like shouldn't in the hospitality industry shouldn't we strive to be that accepting and just like kind of roll with the punches. Sure. I mean, I mean, I think, you know, I don't know. Um, just like anything else, just like you, you, Nick was talking about the bar where they were inconvenienced because they were going to have to stay late or they're going to have to not, you know, not be able to clean up earlier than they wanted to. It's just, you know, the, that mentality of like that, you know, being inconvenienced by the guest who is paying for you, to have a job, you know, and it, I think it's easy to fall in that trap. And that's why the industry, you know, has a lot of places that give maybe not great service. Um, but the places that do kind of stand out that much more. I, I, I'll say like my son had a really, really like deathly severe egg allergy that he ended up growing out of. Um, but it was really, we couldn't have eggs in our house. Uh, we didn't feel comfortable eating eggs. Uh, because if we were near him and, you know, a, a crumb got on it or whatever, um, you know, we just didn't want to run that risk because, you know, we had to carry EpiPens with us and all that. Um, we went to Girl and the Goat in Chicago and, uh, it was, we didn't realize how terribly stressful going out to eat was. We, I mean, we knew it was stressful and we were, you know, we were always scared when we did it, but, uh, Every time they, they marked up a menu and, you know, crossed off the things that he couldn't have. And every time anybody brought anything to the table, they would say, this doesn't have eggs in it or this does have, have eggs and keep it away from him or, you know, he's fine with this one or whatever. But it was multiple, you know, servers, food runners, whatever. But every single time they did this and, you know, it was we, my wife and I just had this moment where we were like, holy, this is, this was like the most, like, safe we've felt since he had this allergy and uh on on the flip side you know we would go to wherever fast food or you know pizza place or whatever and say like does this have eggs in it and we're like no i'm pretty sure it doesn't and i'd be like well my kid's gonna die i have a two-year-old who will die can you check the recipe and they'd be like oh yeah uh you probably i just wouldn't get it (laughs) (laughs) and that was like I would say at least two thirds of the time that was the interaction that we had. We had, did have one where we had to like rush him to the hospital because they told us it didn't have eggs in it. And then it did. Oh no. And, uh, yeah, it's like, you know, wow. I, you know, as like a server in my early twenties, I probably, I could imagine, you know, having the same mindset. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it doesn't. I don't know. Um, and that was all I thought about, you know, every time I had this interaction, it was like, you know, if it's not somebody's own problem that they have experience with, it's understandable for them to not really understand the severity of it. Uh, but, you know, for a lot of people, it's, it's, it's a pretty serious thing. And, and, you know, I've heard people say like, just don't go out. And it's like, a, you know, it's what a shitty thing to say. Oh yeah. That, that's the absolute worst thing to hear. Yeah. I mean, the, part of our job, I think is in the industry is to, to make people feel safe. Like, like you said, yeah. like, or that they've made a good decision walking into your business. Right. Um, 
we, we respond to allergies all the time. Uh, you know, using nut allergies as an example, it's like there's not nuts and everything, but we're in, we're a kitchen that yeah cooks with nuts, and we, we cook volume, and we can't promise no cross contamination. Um, and nine times out of ten, people are like, oh, it's okay, right? Which means that it's not like the situation like your son with 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 a egg allergy that's very severe. Yeah. Um, and the, the severity of an an allergy is that. No matter what the severity is, it's our job to respect whatever is being asked of us within reason. I mean, maybe there's certain times where it might get a little out of hand if you um, if you go down that path far enough, or if you switch up your allergy halfway through your dinner. Right. I mean, even a diet, like you know, there are people who you know are on diets, and we're happy to accommodate those things. Um, but you know. I don't know. It's as long as people are straightforward with what they want, you know, we're happy to give it to them if we have it. Yeah. And, and to, to that point, so th- this kind of idea of like navigating the, the trying to be as hospitable as possible, but then you're, you're going to always encounter someone who's not happy with their experience. How do you guys handle that? Um, if you're able to, uh, if someone's obvious, if you wa- watch the room, sure. you can tell if someone's upset. And you do you proactively go up to them and, and ask. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, we're we try really hard not to let someone be unhappy, and I think that uh, there there are a lot of people who just ha- have had a lot of bad experiences at restaurants and just sort of expect that, and so that's sort of it's almost like their routine. Um, you know, I'm sure you've heard of the whatever statistic where it says, like, if somebody's unhappy, they don't really say anything. They just don't go back. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, that's something we feel pretty strongly about, like, trying to be proactive with that. So if somebody says, you know, we say, like, how are you enjoying your whatever? And they're like, yeah, it's, all right. it's good. Uh, you know, we'll be like, that doesn't sound like it's good. You know, what was there something that you didn't like about it? Or can we get you something different or whatever? Um, and a lot of times it's it's really disarming and kind of surprising to people. Um, and sometimes they'll say it's, you know, I just didn't, it's like, I don't, it's not my thing, but I'm sure it's really, you know, it, it was done right or whatever. Or, um, you know, like tartare is a good example where like they didn't know what it was and, you know, we're not going to every, everybody that orders tartare, we're not going to be like, Hey, do you know that's raw? Right. Um, so that, you know, that's one that's happened, you know, a handful of times when we've had tartare or proke or whatever. Um, and you know, we're not going to like try to force something down somebody's throat. If they're grossed out by raw food, our our job isn't to like gross people out. Right. Just give them. Yeah. Just take it away and give them some, give them whatever they want. Yeah. Yeah. I I had a, um, experience a couple days ago with, with, uh, with a guest who ordered something, uh, back in April, ordered something from us online and had it shipped. And she, uh, said, she had a lot going on, finally got around to emailing us and said she wasn't happy with the product. Um, she was, you know, she's in Texas. So, you know, however that, that worked and it's like, okay, um, I, I, I refunded your money and, um, no, n- not a second thought to it. Right. right. And, um, she responded and she's like, you didn't have, she, I wasn't expecting that. I canceled the credit card. Like there's a number of issues that, and I said, oh, 
okay, well then we can figure this out right. some other way. But um, she was like, I, I can't believe you refunded the money. Like, yeah. What am I supposed to do? You weren't happy. Um, and, you know, and the email also says something about not coming, not giving us business again. It's like, <clears throat> I'm not even here to win back your business, but you spent over a hundred dollars with us. You were upset about it, you know, and, right. and, and, and it obviously seven months later is still upsetting you. That, that's, that's a, that's an issue. Like I need, I need to make it better, yeah. you know, and at, at the restaurant level where, you know, you're able to get somebody right at the point of sometimes. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and even at like. You know, reviews are tough, and sure. um, it's one of the, the the hardest things that we deal with um, as operators. It's like I would have, like, I'm sure in your case, especially, it's like we would have helped you when you were sitting there. And it's like, but people don't say anything, and then they get this urge yep. to write a review, which is their right. They can do it, but they also can handle it at the point of um, – you know, at the moment of the, the present moment. Well, like you were saying, I think, you know, the the lady in Texas uh, was not expecting you to to have like a positive interaction. And, you know, she, for whatever reason, you know, like a lot of other guests, just have these negative interactions throughout, you know, uh, uh, whatever, consistently when they when they go out or when they, you know, uh, patronize places. And I think uh, that's a part of the reason that a lot of people don't say anything is because they don't really expect it to go anywhere. Uh, and it's almost more like um, validating to do something where somebody will hear them. You know what I mean? Uh, so I don't know. I You know, Yelp's an easy thing to trash. And uh, I w- I've definitely lost a lot of sleep over the years. And I, I've, you know, I, I think I've gotten a little bit better certainly over the last several years but initially at the Oakland it's like every bad one was and it was like by bad I'm like you know three and some four star ones were just like a <laughs> knife in my heart wow uh and I was you know I don't know it was a nightmare I was checking I was just looking at our Yelp page like 20 30 times a day uh <laughs> you know eventually some of them are funny you know like I've been called some really 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 funny things <laughs> Uh, but you know, I think more recently over the last like year, uh, I've started to like read the good ones. And if you even, I don't know, if you, if you think about how, how many more people took time to say good things about the food or the service or, you know, or better yet, you know, an individual that works there, uh, it really does drastically outweigh the negative ones, but you know, it's, it's just hard to ignore the negative one. Yeah. And, and we always tend, I mean, I do, I know I do is you focus more on the negative than you do on the positive. Right. Like you're, you're very quick. I mean, I'm very quick to respond to the negative reviews, but not the positive ones. Sure. And that's, that's a shortcoming on my side, I think. Um, because those positive ones are the ones that you want to highlight and not, oh, well, you know, this person had a bad experience. I'm going to focus a long response on them. Yeah. Um, but I feel we have to validate our, validate ourselves. Yep. You know, it's like, no, I'm, I'm a good person. <laughs> you know, we're trying hard to, to, you're busting our asses every day. Like, please, please like see that. <laughs> I deserve to exist. I think I wrote that to someone <laughs> as a response once. So, okay. So you, you've been in the hospitality, you've been in the hospitality industry all your life, most of your life. Um, 
you opened the Oakland in 2011, and now as cocktail culture has evolved in Detroit, we have this uh, week now called Cocktail Week, right? And you uh, present a hospitality workshop, um, which you've done the last uh, two years with the help of others. Yep. Um, kind of explain where that came from and uh, the, the background of that and how it's worked for you. Uh, so several years ago, they do one in New York uh, that's way, way, way more uh, involved and well-produced. And it's a, you know, they have, uh, I think close to a thousand people that go. It's a welcome conference. Yeah. It's called the welcome conference. Um, and it's put on by Will Gadara. Um, and, uh, God, I forget the guy's name. Brian, Anthony Anthony Rudolph and and Brian Brian Canlis. Yeah. Um, so, uh, some of the top restaurateurs in the country, uh, basically just, uh, get together and talk about hospitality. So they have, I think, you know, it's usually like 12 different presenters from both in and outside of the industry. Um, and I was just super inspired, uh, the first time I went, um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, just basically wanted to do something on a much smaller scale here where, um, you know, we kind of got everybody together there. There's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of events and, um, I guess venues for back of the house people, uh, and you know, they communicate with each other a ton. Um, but it seemed like the only time that front of the house people got together were like cocktail competitions or situations where everybody was just like kind of shit faced. Yep. Um, so I just thought it would be cool to just, you know, talk about service and, um, so a couple of years ago we did the first one, uh, it was at the book Cadillac and, um, I don't know, it was, you know, it was very, it was really fun. It was, I, I certainly learned a lot, you know, um, not only about hospitality, but about, you know, how, uh, an event like that is, you know, a pretty massive undertaking and stuff. So, um, we did it again, uh, this year and I certainly hope we'll do it again, uh, next year. It's kind of a fun, fun day. And how do you go about like, inviting people to speak and how do you figure out what, what's going to be spoken about? Um, I just kind of reach out to people. Um, Travis Formont is involved in the cocktail classic. Um, and, and, uh, his, uh, business partner on that is, uh, Anthony. And, um, <clears throat> so with, with their feedback, I kind of just run some ideas by them about people who I think, you know, would be relevant again, indirectly or directly, uh, in terms of the, um, you know, the industry. Now, can you compare what you've learned in New York at the welcome conference versus what you've learned here in Detroit? Well, I feel, I mean, it's not, the event itself is not something that you could compare the two. Well, Um, I don't mean, I I mean, just in terms of like what's being spoken about, what the issues are. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it tales of the cocktail too, um, which is a cocktail conference that they do um, in New Orleans. That's a huge, huge, like 20,000 people go there. It's like a week long thing, but they do seminars as, as part of that, uh, you know, several every day. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, you learn some, some things about techniques, some things about just general, um, you know, habits and, uh, other things are just, just inspiring in general. So, um, you know, the, like this year we had Jimmy Lee Hill who, uh, his, he's a, a chef that is teaching like fine dining, um, sort of chef skills to, uh, prisoners in Lakeland, Michigan. Um, and you know, he's more or less dedicated his, his life and his career to that. And he's, he's changed a lot of people's lives because as they're getting out of, uh, of prison, you know, now they're actually getting jobs and, you know, feeling, 
good about themselves. You know, not only are they getting jobs, but they're getting, you know, jobs in really, really quality kitchens and doing really good work. And, uh, so, you know, hearing people like that, uh, Michelle Lutz, who, you know, is the, uh, the farmer for recovery park, um, just like really cool people doing really cool things. It's, it, it can be really inspiring. And, and they're people that oftentimes will get glossed over in favor of like the new restaurant opening, right? Sure. Um, so to the, to that end, so, you know, with Chartreuse being open multiple years, the Oakland being open for, you know, almost a decade now, um, where, where does that put you with all the new stuff happening in the city? Do you, do you ever feel left behind at this point or are you still? Well, I have, but it, I mean, I think, uh, it, it was more after the first few years of the Oakland and, uh, you know, just sort of finding who we were going to be. Uh, you know, I think it was we for a really long time we were, you know, it was us in the sugar house where the craft cocktail bars in Detroit and that was just it. You know, there wasn't anybody else. And that's, that was a big part of our identity. Um, and I think as, you know, other awesome, fantastic cocktail bars started to open, um, you know, we weren't just the only, you know, one of the only, the two cocktail bars. Um, so, you know, that was about the time that we, you know, we wanted to, we started building up our, our, uh, whiskey list. And I think now, you know, we're, um, we're trying to go in the direction of being a neighborhood bar that, that makes really good drinks and, you know, has really good service. Um, and we're not, you know, we don't have these sort of lofty goals and we're not trying to like, you know, blow people's minds with you know, these amazing, like intricate cocktails. We're just trying to make really good drinks and serve them to people in a, in a friendly way and and facilitate their having a good time. And, and to that end, the hiring practices that you guys have at the Oakland and at Chartreuse for that matter, has it been easy, difficult to find good people? Like what, how, what's been your experience there? Yeah. It's, we've been really, really fortunate, uh, at both places. Um, and I think that that's, the you know the overwhelming reason for the success we've had at both places uh is just that we've been really really lucky uh with you know with the people that have worked there um it's definitely harder now with you know so many just really really great quality restaurants and bars that have opened in the city and um it's you know it's it's more difficult to find people it's more difficult to keep people um you know, because if you've worked at a quality place, then you can pretty much get a job at any other quality place that opens up, um, you know, and, and there have been so many of those. Um, so I don't know, we've, we've, we've just been, you know, our, our, the product that we serve is, is due to the, the quality of people that, that we have, you know. And how has that affected your, work-life balance so you're you're, you're operating two restaurant uh, bar you know the oakland chartreuse um you, you made mention earlier that you were you know at the oakland from 9 a.m to 1 a.m at the beginning sure um where does your life sit <coughs> sit now um i'm just trying to learn how to do it I don't yeah know. uh I, I i spent the last couple of years just trying to teach myself how to be in uh, like a business owner um uh, you know, I've been, I was a server for a very, very long time. And then I was a manager for a very long, long time. And it's still kind of what I am, I think, you know, to a certain extent. Um, 
and I'm trying to just learn how to be an owner now. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I'm in the midst of that process and I, I don't claim to know what I'm doing in any of those arenas. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think a lot of us claim to know what we're doing. It's just a matter of like getting to the point where you're okay with leaving things be. Yeah. Well, that's part of it. I mean, I, it's part of learning. And I mean, uh, you know, take, for example, the oven going out and you like, I mean, you were sick. Right. <laughs> and I mean, I think it'd be funny to even imagine, because you mentioned before, like you're, it sounds like you're pessimistic-ish. <laughs> and so like if you were healthy and you were there, would it have made the situation better or not? Like you being away from the situation might have made it, may, may have made it okay. That's you know? an interesting uh, question. <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, I don't know. And that's fine. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's a huge step in being an owner, <laughs> saying I don't know. Yeah. Because there, there's so much out there that, you know, that, that I see that um, we try to have this kind of uh, air of confidence all the time. And I definitely don't have uh, that. No, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm scared quite often as well. Yeah. And um, it, it's a really, what's liberating, I think, in talking about the people that we hire, it's like, if if we're scared, but they're not, or you know, or we can kind of convey some type of confidence, and that even though like this sounds right at the moment, yeah, and and we have people that see it through for us, and it ends up being right, you know, that's a that's a good feeling. Yeah, no question. I don't know. I feel to a certain degree that uh, at at both places, um, you know, certainly now, uh, it, it's just a matter of like getting out of everybody's way. And that's, I think that's sort of kind of what you're talking about a little bit. Right? Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, they're, you know, people are really talented at what they do. And, I, you know, I, I will say that, you know, for at some of some of the jobs that I had as a server, I was a pretty, I was a pretty good server. And, uh, you know, I, a lot of the success that I had was because I was given freedom, you know, to not read from a script or, uh, you know, handle tables in the way that, you know, I thought was right. Or whatever, um, and you know, Doug talks about that with food a lot. Where you know, if you're getting really, really good ingredients, and it's kind of like let them speak for themselves, and not you know, don't try to muddy things up. Um, there's a, a you know, there's a saying that like, you can't polish a turd. If you right. start with a really good product, it's just you know, that's that's uh, it takes everything else takes care of itself. So one last question. The Oakland's full name is Oakland Art Novelty Company. What, right. what is Art Novelty Company? So the uh, part, part of uh, the Art Novelty Company was a fake business that didn't exist uh, from the Pur- Purple Gang. Uh, and it was basically like a stamp uh, for a return address that they, they had for when they shipped uh, alcohol throughout ah. the Midwest. Um, so the, Dave and I were both operating under similar names before either of us opened, uh, unknowingly to each other. Um, really? so yes, our, the business name, the LLC name for the Oakland is the Oakland Sugar House LLC. Uh, so, <laughs> wow. you know, at, it was still probably a year and a half or two years before either of us opened. Um, but I found, you know, there was like a Metro times thing that mentioned it and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh. You know, we, I think at that time, I thought that he was pretty close to opening. Um, So Heather and I, you know, Heather found the name uh, 
the, you know, our novelty company. So we just kind of switched it to that and just did a DBA for that. Oh. All right. So where can people find uh, your businesses online? Uh, so it's uh, the OaklandFerndale.com. Okay. And ChartreuseKC.com for kitchen and cocktails. And then on Instagram? Uh, Chartreuse Detroit and uh, the Oakland. Okay. <laughs> These are the tough questions now. Art, no, it's Art Novelty Company. I'm sorry. Art Novelty Company. Yeah. All right. Well, Sandy, thanks for being with me. Thank you. Great talking to you. Yeah, likewise. Until next time, dine well, friends.